Today we're up here, we're moving from talking about lost things in the last couple parables we've talked about, to in the next three weeks we're going to be digging into these stories for an agrarian society talking about seeds. Now if you're a gardener or a farmer right now, perhaps you're starting to think about seeds. Yesterday Michelle had her seed binders out, so I didn't know this was a thing. But for gardeners, they save their little seed packets and they keep them in books and they record if that seed worked or if that seed didn't work or how much to use or did I like that? Am I going to plant it again next year? Am I going to try something else this coming year? We're kind of in the dead of winter. The gardeners right now are smiling because you guys are like, yeah, that's absolutely what we do. And these seed decisions are so often based off of our experience from last year. Did they produce? Did they give us the yield that we desired? And if we didn't get it, then we blame it on the seed and say it must have been a bad seed. It was a bad plant. And we forget the fact that perhaps our soil is truly garbage. <laughs> Maybe it's because we let the grass grow in the garden. And yeah, we weeded once a month and it would take hours. But for those three weeks as the weeds and the grass grew up, maybe that is why we didn't have the, the yield that we thought we had. But we right away point at the seed and say, well, that didn't produce very well. Let's get rid of it. Try something different next year. But what if we had incredible seeds for like the best tomato plants ever? But we throw them away because we never give them a proper chance to grow in the right soil that's been prepared and weeded and fertilized and watered. It's possible that Michelle and I are making this mistake in our gardening and we're throwing out some really good seeds. And it's possible that as Christians, we're making this exact same mistake with the gospel message. What if the reason that we don't share our faith with others is because we have our doubts that that gospel seed that we share with others is actually going to do anything in their lives. We've had too many experiences where we've shared our faith or tried to get into a conversation of faith with somebody and it fell on deaf ears and we just thought, you know what? It's not going to make any difference anyway. So we stop sharing. We blame the seed. We say, well, maybe that's just not good enough rather than recognizing perhaps there's something else going on there. And that's what our parable that we're going to be unpacking today is actually all about. So today we are continuing in the book of Luke. Luke is actually, of all the Gospels, it contains the most parables in it and the most unique parables that aren't found in any of the other Gospels. And it's one of, this parable we're looking at is called the parable of the sower. It's in Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there right now to Luke chapter 8. And this is one of seven parables that's actually found in all three of the synoptic gospels. Synoptic is a fancy word that means Matthew, Mark, and Luke all share a lot of content. John's very different than those three. So those three grouped together are called the synoptics. The three of them all contain this parable of the sower. Uh, I happen to choose Luke's version because it's the most condensed for us to walk through this morning. One other item of note is that while this is called the parable of the sower, what's interesting is there's virtually no information given about the sower. The person sowing the seed is pretty much irrelevant to the story 
We give it that name because in Matthew's account, if you read Matthew's story in Matthew 13, Jesus calls it the parable of the sower. So that's why we call it that. However, many would say the parable of the soils is a better title because it's the soils that this passage is really all about. So that's enough with the backstory. We're going to jump in reading Luke chapter 8 in verse 4 is where we're going to start off. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on, the so- on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So we've got this story. You like the graphic up there is what we've had hanging in the foyer. It's the four types of soil. And the first soil Jesus describes is really, it's the path. It's been trampled down. It's been walked on. The animals have been going on it. It's the equivalent of when I'm spreading grass seed and overseeding in my yard and it falls on the driveway. That seed has no chance of penetrating into the ground and actually germinating in any way. And so as it sits on top of the soil, on top of the path, it's easy pickings for the birds to come and eat that seed. And so it's eaten by the birds. The second type of soil is this rocky soil. We have to understand in Palestine, where Jesus is sharing this parable, it was very common to have soil that was basically bedrock, just a couple inches underneath kind of the sandy top. And so if you didn't dig down and check it out, you might think that you were planting your seed in a field that could grow, and just three inches down, you were basically hitting bedrock. There's no way for a plant, yes, it may germinate in that very top, but it can't actually create any kind of a root. And that soil gets so hot and dries out, it has no moisture to actually develop into a plant in that kind of a soil. It was a common situation for Jesus' hearers of this day. The third type of soil he's describing is this soil that this, it's fine, It lets everything grow, in fact. The plant's able to grow and the thorns, the weeds are able to come up. This is a situation I can truly relate to. (laughs) We got some straw from a guy here in Sheridan. It was loaded with oat seed. Chuck knows what I'm talking about. Man, we had oats growing everywhere and you're just constantly pulling it up and then ragweed. And you leave it for like a week where you get to 100 degrees and you're like, it's too hot to weed your garden. And you come back out and you can't find your plants and they're still there. But the problem is, is that everything else is competing for the sunlight, competing for the moisture, competing for the nutrients. And your plants just aren't actually going to grow and mature and thrive the way that you always intended them to. And then the fourth soil that Jesus describes is what he calls good And it's good in that it produces a yield a hundred times what was expected. A hundred times the grain or a hundred times the fruit. I once had a tomato plant called a century plant. Couldn't believe how many cherry tomatoes came off of that single plant. 
And that's what he's talking about. That's what good soil does. Just one seed makes this huge, amazing plant that yields so much for the person who plants it. And then after sharing this parable about these very common situations, I think if you've ever been in a garden or if you're a farmer, you're like, yeah, I totally understand these situations. He says to them, he who has ears, let them hear. And I'm sure that this large crowd that is gathered is like, Jesus, we all heard you just fine. I still don't have a clue what you're talking about. Now, for those of us in the church that we maybe have heard this parable and we've heard what comes next, we're like, well, of course, this is clear. But if this is your first time ever hearing this, and Jesus is just talking, there's a farmer, he goes out, he spreads seed on four types of soil. There's really not enough there to know exactly what point Jesus might be trying to make. And so that's why in verse 9, his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. If you remember in our first week in this series on story time, these parables of Jesus, we talked about why Jesus spoke sometimes in parables rather than in just clear teaching. We talked about how stories are easier to remember and pass down to next generations. Uh, how the people who wanted to argue with Jesus, it's harder to argue with nuances of a story than to say, here's a technicality, Jesus, what about this? But what we also saw is Jesus did this on purpose. Because it kind of divided. Some people hear what he says and it resonates with them and they understand. But he also knew that in speaking in these parables, there's another group of people that they hear it and it falls on deaf ears. Two groups of people can hear the exact same story. He says to the disciples, you understand these mysteries. But to the others, they don't understand at all. Well, what's the difference some get it, some don't. What's the difference between these two groups of people? And what we see in this parable is what separates those who understand and those who don't is the condition of their heart. Some people have a heart that's receptive to the message that Jesus has, the message that he shares. They hear it and they go, oh, that is balm to my soul. That is exactly what I need to hear in this moment. And other people hear the message of Jesus and they say, I have no interest in that. That is crazy talk. Jesus has had that going on when he was teaching directly and it's been going on through history ever since. So as we're about to find out, this parable is actually about the soils of people's hearts and why some people respond one way and other people respond another way. So, Let's continue reading. In Luke 11, Jesus now starts giving us the meaning of this parable. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. And when you think about a seed, just that small little seed, it has so much potential. That little tiny seed that can barely, you, some of them are so small you can barely see them in your hand. And yet it has potential to grow into something so much bigger. But that's a story for another parable we're getting to in a couple of weeks. The Word of God is filled with kingdom potential. 
That's the point Jesus is making. It has the power to bring growth and to bring life and flourishing into the person who plants that seed, the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus in their heart can completely transform a person. Maybe you've seen it in your own life or you've watched it in somebody else's life as the Word of God takes root, it germinates and it grows and their life is transformed and they become a different person and what they care about changes and how they spend their time, how they spend their money is completely transformed as they take their hope and move it from worldly things to the one who made the world, Jesus Christ. Chapter tw- or Verse 12, those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. You see, Satan wants to steal the potential of that seed. And while we may underestimate the unseen battle that's raging all around us, I talked about that last year in May. We had a series called The Unseen. If you're curious about that, I encourage you to go to our website and check that out. But... There's a lot going on behind the scenes, folks. And Jesus talks about this spiritual battle quite a bit. Paul writes about it a lot. And Jesus is saying, for some people, that seed is grabbed and taken away from them before they ever can put it in their heart at all, before it ever has time to germinate in any way whatsoever. And when Jesus uses this word devil, in the Greek, it literally means adversary. Because the devil is the opponent to what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to plant kingdom seeds that bring life. The devil is trying to steal the potential of that seed and bring death. Now, this doesn't mean that those people who have that seed stolen are eternally doomed. It just means that moment that somebody shared the gospel message, that somebody had a spiritual conversation with them, that's not going to be their turning point. But it doesn't mean you should stop sowing seed with that person. Just means in that moment, it was taken away from them. So what's it look like, practically speaking, when we say that seeds are stolen? It's when a person is so hard-headed and hard-hearted that nothing you say about your faith raises any questions within them about why they might have a need for Jesus. What I've seen is often these people are very arrogant in their thinking. They're very prideful. I have this figured out. You silly person who believes in something out there are just wrong and I have no interest in that. Sometimes, however, it's not pride that causes somebody to be hard-hearted and hard-headed, but it's actually hurt. It's in the past They were a part of the church. Something happened that hurt them, wounded them so deeply that when you talk about God, when you talk about faith, it goes to a place of hurt, and so they just want to push that away. And Satan uses that as an opportunity to steal that seed back, say, no, 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 not right now. We need to pray for those people. Luke 8.13, Jesus continues, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. These seeds' potential cannot be reached with no root. They hear the exciting news that God loves them, He forgives them, He accepts them, and they seem to take immediately these steps of faith. But then they return back to the real world and perhaps a little bit of pushback, and immediately they slide into the life that they had. I see this sometimes with teenagers who go on mission trips. 
You take a teenager on a mission trip and you remove them from their friends and their networks and you put them in a totally different situation. That's why we do it, because it's really helpful. It's like an incubator. And they connect with God and they seem to grasp something. And you see the beginning steps of transformation in their life. And then you come home from the mission trip and within a week, they're back with their same old friends doing the same old things. And it's like absolutely nothing has changed. And you're like, what happened? I thought you had it. I thought you grasped it. But now you've gone back. Maybe you've seen it with people who have kind of that come to Jesus moment. They hit rock bottom in life. And all of a sudden they start coming to church every week. You hadn't seen them since two years ago Easter. And they start showing up every week. They're telling you how they're reading their Bible and they're praying every single night for like three weeks. And then they disappear again. And you're like, oh but I thought they got it. I thought they had that relationship. I thought they were growing. What happened here? And Jesus is saying, for some people, their hearts are this soil that it, there's still a bunch of rocks in there. And while they understand it at first glance, they kind of grab it. They're not able to actually grow a root and hold on and persevere. Verse 14, the third kind of seed fell among the thorn stands for those who hear. But as they go in their, on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. These seeds' potential cannot mature because they are choked out with the thorns. In this soil, the seed, it germinates, it grows, but there's competition. Like I was talking about in my garden, everybody's, all these weeds, all these other plants are vying for the attention of what is needed to grow that plant. And Jesus names these thorns. Jesus names what's competing with the spiritual vitality of your life. He says, it is life's worry, life's riches, and life's pleasure. Those three things. Worry is this life of always dreading what can go wrong and what isn't working. Rather than trusting in God to provide and protect and watch out for you, it's saying, I don't trust God, and so I've got to worry about it because it may not go right. And so rather than having your eyes on God, you have your eyes on everything that might not work out. Other people are choked out by riches. This fits us really well in America where we like to have nice things. We're thinking about how I can make the next dollar, uh, how I can buy the next truck, take the next vacation, how my investments are doing, what's going on with the stock market, or maybe my online shopping is, if I just get that one more thing, I'll be a little bit happier. And we're just focused on accumulation, on stuff. And if I can just have a little bit more, as long as I can feel secure, a little bigger bank account, and as long as we're focused on our money, which is a massive issue for a lot of people, and Jesus is saying, that'll choke your spiritual vigor. Don't let that happen. Finally, he names pleasure. Pleasure and comfort point to a life of selfishness that's focused on my own glory rather than the glory of God. And we see obvious examples of this with Hollywood movie stars and top athletes, but it can also completely sap us of our own spiritual growth. When we become creatures of comfort, of living a life that's easy and satisfying, rather than a life that's meaningful and sacrificial. I'm sure as you started Circle of Freedom, you've had to sacrifice a few things. 
You've had to put a lot of time that you could have done Netflix binging (laughs) that you're putting into the ministry, right? Like we understand that's what kingdom life looks like is saying, I'm going to sacrifice my comfort in what everybody else is doing. And instead, I'm going to do what God is calling me to do for His glory, not my own. So all these things choke our ability to grow in our faith. They steal our time, our energy. Rather than maturing in discipleship and developing our relationship with Jesus, serving others, giving generously for the advancement of the church, instead we pour all those things into ourselves. And then our spiritual life can't go anywhere. It can't become what Jesus wants it to become. But, verse 15, but... The seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. The seed reaches its potential and it produces the crop. What we see here clearly is that soil has always been about the heart. That's what Jesus says specifically here, is that it is a heart, a noble and good heart who makes up the good soil. It's people who are humbly ready to receive from God. It's people who see their need for forgiveness, their need for a Savior, who say, you know what? Yeah, I'm ready for something more. And rather than looking inward or looking at what the world has to offer, they look upward and say, yeah, I want what you've got. That's what good soil looks like. And it allows you to persevere when things get hard, when there's testing, when things try to crowd out, make you really busy, fill your life with all sorts of things vying for attention. You say, you know what, but I'm going to keep making time for Jesus. I'm going to keep making time for this relationship with my God. I'm going to keep giving generously. I'm going to keep finding time to serve because that's who I am. And that's the soil of my heart is that's what matters to me. And when you do that, what happens is you become that plant that produces a hundredfold return. We see that saints who have passed away in the last couple weeks in this church, Norma LaRue and Faye Faust, and the way that they gave of themselves so freely for so long. And it produces fruit. Maybe they made a difference in your lives. And that's the story that each of us should want for ourselves, that we live a life that's beyond ourselves, but that we actually have a seed that goes out from us that makes an impact in the lives of others. That that gospel message takes root in others and other plants grow, other lives flourish spiritually because of how we lived our own lives. Now, after reading through Jesus' explanation of the parable, it's common to wonder, well, what kind of soil do I want to be? But a better perspective is to realize that you can't build the soil of your heart in a single moment. Like, the seed doesn't grow in a moment. It takes time. The weeds that choke out your spiritual life, that takes time. They kind of slip in. They aren't just... They don't knock you over and say, hey, I'm going to steal your faith. But you look back maybe after years of letting something invade your time, your calendar, your money, and you go, I haven't lived life how I wanted to because I've been over here rather than focused on God. I think a better question for each of us to ask ourselves is this. Based on your spiritual growth through the years, 
What type of soil is your heart or what type of soil has your heart been? Has God made any difference in your life? Or has everything you've ever heard fallen on deaf ears and a hard heart? Or do you have an experience in your past where you jumped all in with God only to slide away? And you come back to church on occasion, or maybe this is your history, is that you're all in for a month or two, and then you go like a year or two away from the church, and then you're like, I got to get back, and you're all in. But that's that plant that's trying to have that fast, rapid growth, but it's not establishing a root. It doesn't have that staying power. Perhaps you know Jesus, you read the Bible, and you've attended church, but your life is just so busy. You have money to make, trips to take, and a life to be lived. So you fit Jesus into your busy schedule in little nooks and crannies of your calendar. But when you think about your spiritual life, you would never use the word transformative or flourishing. You'd be like, it's there. But Jesus wants more than that. He wants a plant that produces a crop a hundred times. So if you find yourself in any of these first three categories, I encourage you to work things out with God. Reflect on why your heart is where it is. And ultimately, God's the one who can do a work in it. He's the one who can remove the stones. He's the one that can help cut back the thorns. He's the one who can bring growth to your life, who can help you have that staying power that produces fruit. If that's you and you don't know where to begin, talk to me on your way out from here or catch me this week. I want to help you figure out what it looks like to have that ongoing, continual relationship with Jesus. And finally, and hopefully, you find yourself in the final category of the good soil. You've lived a life of steady growth, trusting in Jesus. You've faced hard times. You've gone through busy seasons. But you've persevered. You've kept the faith. And you're giving of yourself to be a blessing to others. If that's where you find yourself, then this parable gives you three ways that I think you can respond. First, Pray for the hearts of those around you. So often we're like, well, that person just doesn't care about Jesus. And so we're like, the seed doesn't work. I'm done with them. They're just hard-hearted. It's not going to change. Well, what Jesus is saying, like, look, this gospel seed, it's got the power. It's got the potency to produce. However, the soil of their life maybe isn't ready. So let's pray that God would change the soil of their hearts. Pray that God would soften their hearts, that they'd go through something and they would become more receptive the next time you cast that seed out by having a spiritual conversation with them. Also, we need to sow seeds of the gospel abundantly, almost recklessly. It's not like these gospel seeds are limited. You got a hundred to share in your whole life and when you're out, you're out. That's not how it works. You can be casting seed all over the place. And if somebody's not able to receive it, that's okay. That's not on you. Because here's the thing about people's hearts. We don't know who's hard-hearted or who's had something go on in their life and they're now receptive and ready to hear and to respond. We can't see that. So what we're told to do is just so generously get into spiritual conversations with people Talk to them about how we have a hope when things are hard, but I have a hope in Jesus, but I have faith, but I have joy even in the hard times. You never know who's going to circle back around you and be like, okay, 
I don't understand this. You went through that really hard time a year ago, but for some reason you had an attitude that I don't understand because I'm going through it now, but it doesn't make sense. Why were you able to get through it like that? We don't know when those seeds might take root. So we're simply called to sow generously, recklessly, abundantly all around us. And finally, we trust God with the growth. It's not up to you to make the plant grow. Paul talks about that. He says like, you know, one so he sows the seed, Apollos waters the seed, but God brings the growth. We need to understand that. We just trust God with the results. We do our part. We pray for people's hearts to be soft. We try to get into conversations with people. We're not pushy about it, but we just trust God with the results. And we say, God, I just want to see their life transformed. I want to see growth in them the same way that I've seen growth in me and my life transformed. Here's what's amazing about the kingdom of God and Jesus' saving power. It's not dependent on us to do anything extraordinary at all. The word of God is alive and active. It penetrates hearts and it germinates in people's minds all on its own power. All that God needs from each person is the right seedbed. A humble part, a recognition that life is broken, and that something better is in store for them. That's what good soil looks like. From that position, God can transform hearts, minds, any history, experiences, all that stuff can be completely changed. Circle of Freedom has that story. Lives completely transformed. When women were willing to say, this isn't working, and I'm humbly ready for change. And God's, that power of the gospel can do that in any person's life. So that's our hope. And Lord willing, that the God of the harvest is going to continually multiply followers of Jesus through our ministry right here in this county, in our families, in our networks with coworkers, friends, neighbors. We want to see the seed cast and watch God bring the growth. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray?